To be rendered powerless does not destroy your humanity. Your resilience is your humanity. The only people who lose their humanity are those who believe they have the right to render another human being powerless. They are weak. To yield and not break, that is incredible strength. Hannah Gadsby. Bending, Not Breaking, Season 3, Episode 5, The Beach. And welcome back to another episode of Bending, Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. And this is Ben Pruitt. And we are here to talk about The Beach. But before we do that, we've got uh, an incredibly special guest. Super special. As in, like, probably one of the most special guests that we could potentially have on this podcast. But, like, legit. For real. Not only are they a mental health professional, but they were also... On Avatar The Last Airbender. Stop it. The one. Really? The only Cricket Lee Alexander. Dun, 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 what, dun, dun, what? Dun. Hello. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we are so excited to have you. Uh, you played a character on the show, if I'm not mistaken. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I did. I did. I was really lucky <laughs> to get to play May. Um, you know, the most chipper, most excited. Excited, most cheerleadery character. Oh, sorry, no, wrong, wrong girl. No, no, um, no. That's exactly how I see her. I think that's a really spot-on analysis for sure. It's true. No, she was jumping and doing cartwheels on the inside, people. Okay. Mm. But on the outside, yes. she's a cool cucumber, and I was very lucky um, to get to play her and to get to really alter my personality because I am more of a upbeat person. So I had to uh, pare it down and think about what a teenager in her position would feel. Wow. That sounds awesome. Yeah. What a time. But And now, what's the world got you doing now? Where are you at? Well, after I, I did May, and I did a couple other um, animation projects, and I was a playwright, so I did a play, and I, I traveled. I decided that I really wanted to use my powers for good. And that meant for me, um, getting into the field of mental health and being a therapist and working with people from the toughest backgrounds with the toughest um, either diagnoses or circumstances and going to their homes and delivering therapy that way to their family and to them. Um, and now I'm a clinical director of a mental health group called Blend, um, B-L-N-D with no E. And we get to do the same. So it's just, I'm really fortunate to go from one to the other. And then now to take both and meld them together is like, it's like I'm a mind bender now. So I'm really psyched. Uh, uh, get it? Mind bender. Get it? Bending. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so perfect. You are probably the most perfect person to talk on this show. Uh, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, mm. Before we kind of dive in, we're going to be looking at this episode, The Beach, through the lens of uh, resilience, resilience, which is really cool. So we'll, yes. we'll dive a little bit more into that and what resilience means. But before we get there, Ben, guest or no guest, it is still your turn to give us a 30-second recap of the episode. What is guest or no guest? Can I? Guest oh, guest or, or no, no guest. guest. I was about to say no guess. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to do it. No guess if I can. Just, yeah. 
because we have company doesn't mean that you get out of your chores is the way that I'm the this is how we're working. Okay, it. Dad. Oh okay. fine. Alright, are you ready? I guess. On your mark, get set, go. So once upon a time, there was a group of four people that they all went to the beach. And it's kind of a typical anime beach episode, even though it's like, is it an anime? I don't know. It's, a, it's you know, to be to be determined. But anyway, so these villains are the ones to go to the beach. It's Zuko, Azula, Mei, Tai Lee. And they all go to this royal beach house with Lo and Lee for a well-earned vacation. They talk about, you know, turning smooth. Ten seconds left. And, oh, my God. And then the four attempt to socialize with Fire Nation teenagers through volleyball and a party. And then they, like, have a heart-to-heart around a beach, a campfire. And then, you know, there's a thing with the combustion man, Sparky Sparky Boom Man. And then... And- and time. The thing, uh, that's it. <laughs> that was awesome. You did pretty good. I I tried. Yeah, I'll give it a six. A six? Yeah, a six. I'm gonna hey, give it so... an eight. An oh. eight? Ooh. Yeah, because uh, I like he really I like tried, her better. And I, and I, I felt his commitment. That's that's why you, you get more for that. One of the things I want to kind of dive into is that you uh I you called them villains. Yes. Uh, from from Jump Street. That's so true. You used, I did that uh, with without, which I think is the exact opposite of this episode. Kind of gets to it humanizes humanizing them. these individuals. Yeah. Um, but you dehumanized them, jumping straight into the recap. Yeah. Um, ah. And I wonder how much as an audience we do that with characters, uh, but also with people. So maybe at the beginning of my recap, I said villains, but I didn't say it at the end of my recap. Much like the end of this episode changes our perspective because we see them get humanized. Yeah. Progress, not perfection. We just got to continue to work on growing and becoming better, right? That's what I'm saying. All right. Well, so let's talk resilience. And who better to ask than the professional here? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, what, when you, when you say, when resilience is being said, when we say we're looking at kids with resilience, we're looking at people with resilience, yeah. what does that actually mean? Uh, what are the parts of resilience? What yeah. makes someone resilient? It's so resilience is um, it's the ability to have things bounce off, right? It's like it's adapting well in the face of adversity. And we all have adversity, but some have an incredible amount. Um, you know, there's the ACE study, which talks about all of the um, adverse childhood effects. So you could be 40 and take the ACE study and say, wow, I've got 10 out of 10. Or, you know, so if you've got all these, these adversities, against you, it's really important for you to have some resilience. And the resilience doesn't mean hope or like hoping you do okay or pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Resilience is literally making sure you or your child are surrounded by people that are going to um, basically help you adapt. And that could be a grandma, it could be a pastor, it could be a drama teacher or a teacher. And so a resilient person they have what we call protective factors and they protect us. So if I do have a high score on that adverse childhood experience study, then I know, well, okay, how much protective factors did I have? And the people that have a high score of the ACE study and a low score of protective factors are the ones we see with the most trouble, the most difficulty, maybe the most homeless, the most sick, the most IV drug users, and the most with mental health problems. So, yeah, oh, sorry, we were both trying to jump in. in. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to point out is the phrase uh, pulling, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, and this kind of understanding, which yeah. is something that I feel like we kind of recognize and, and honor is this idea of, oh, you came from nothing and you went through all these challenges and you, and you did it by yourself and you, you, you know, 
you you put your nose to the grindstone and you Mm -hmm. made it and what i feel like i heard you say is that's really not it is that it requires a community or people around you absolutely and you know and no offense but people with great wealth and lineage wealth are the ones to usually say that and that's because when you have wealth going from generation to generation uh, it's quite easy for for that person to start by themselves or pull themselves up but but for people in poverty or who have intergenerational trauma or poverty it's just a kind of hilarious sentiment that we would say oh just pull yourself up um it just doesn't work like that and i think people are seeing that now either with school shootings or mental health people are like oh you know maybe it is more than willpower because it is it takes a community yeah i'm in you i am like so on board with that i I think one of the things that comes comes up with this also is this this concept of pulling up pulling yourself up by your bootstraps doesn't take into account this this uh the community of it it's very um isolating is pulling yourself up by your bootstraps Mm. it's it's this forced independence like if you you shouldn't have to rely on anyone Mm. and what you're describing with these protective factors is people and needing to rely on people and can you can can you elaborate on that and just kind of help me yeah no i I agree with you um you know i think we we are like-minded in that way that you know, they say it takes a village and, you know, we, we kind of, we simplify it, but it really does. And in, in there's proven research that a kid or a young adult um, who has the choice to maybe make a good choice or bad, if they have even one trusted adult in their life, may make a different choice. They may make a choice to call that adult meet with that adult and be like, what do you think? You know, you think I should go do this? You think, you know, whatever the choice is, that trusted adult, that safe adult, whether it's family or not, um, has a huge impact on people, which is why we do after-school programs. It's why we do um, church outreach. It's why, you know, I'm on here with you guys. I mean, I love Avatar and I I love the character, but um, I also think that many people that come up to me at Comic-Cons or talk to me privately, all suffer from something and they need to know it's not just them, it's not just their fault and it isn't just their cross to bear. It is all of ours to help them lift up and make good choices and find success. Yeah, there, there's so much in what you just said. Like I'm like, like I'm, you can see my face. I keep on like uh, twitching at all the things that I want to respond to. <laughs> No, it's great. What you're saying is so useful and so necessary. There's so much to unpack. Yeah, there's just so much to unpack. And like one of the things that I, uh, just for FYI, I, I lead a training called Youth Mental Health First Aid. It's uh, the mental health first aid, like, and it's really cool. And they kind of uh, teach about these protective factors. And I'm curious from, from your work, uh, what other factors besides one trusted adult? Because that was oh. the most important factor that was outlined in the training. Um, but I'm curious from your perspective, what are the other factors? Uh, what are the other protective factors? And then do we see any of these factors in this episode? Ooh, good one. Um, so I think another protective factor, I think the, the way most people start is from the inside out. So it's your concrete support, right? So somebody who's who's that trusted adult, you've got social support. That might be a friend or a friend's mom, or you know, even if you're an adult, then it could be... Um, still an adult friend. Um, We want to work on parental resilience because that's the part we always forget. Like, 
oh yeah, well, yeah. this kid needs, you know, needs some help or this adolescent, but we've got to be going right to the people who are teaching them or modeling to them and say, you, what are your protective factors, Mrs. Jackson, you know, or, you know, Mrs. Rizanti Mrs. and Mr. Or, Fire Lord. Yeah, whatever you're right, Mr. Ozai, <laughs> right, exactly. So we want to look at the parents too. And then the understanding of child development is really, uh, really helpful. You want to look at the people next to you. Um, try to foster nurturing and attachment um, and then just helping kids understand their feelings and put it into words. That's important. That's social emotional development. And that's something we can do. Of course, teachers do it at school, but for the parent to continue doing it at home is really hard. A lot of parents think, well, I, I send my kid to school. I mean, that's, that's it, right? I, I don't, what do I, why do I have to do anything? And unfortunately, well, and what I love about what you're saying about parents is that it's, it's, a, I love that because it's assuming the best. It's like, yes, this is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. And it's assuming that parents are trying to do it. I think with these, uh, quote villains slash fire Lord <laughs> children slash the fire nation, I, yeah. I feel like what we're seeing pretty clearly over the course of this series is Ozai not necessarily doing the things that you're describing. Yeah. Right. Would, yeah. And uh, in fact, they've just been sent away to Ember Island to go on quote vacation so that he could deal with his own things. And it was, you know, and mm -hmm. it's a really interesting thing to think about how uh, parents are pretty pivotal in the development of these characters. We see it's May's true. parents and we hear her, uh, uh, talk about her parents. We hear Ty Lee talk about being one of seven. Mm. We hear, uh, we like, we hear Zuko consistently dealing with daddy issues mm -hmm. and we hear Azula deal with mom issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And so That's like right. parents seem to be a major, major and, and player. Parental attachment. So if we, you know, many people would say that the old attachment theory, which is how we attach to our child rearer person, you know, raising us, is and can be the reason for any mental health problem as an adult. So I don't know if that's true. I think it's an interesting theory. But boy, May, she sure did not attach to either. She is self-sufficient. <laughs> she doesn't trust anybody. She knows she can handle herself. And that would make sense why she holds things in. She doesn't have that ability to attach um, to, to a safe adult. So she has to be her own. And funny because uh, uh, she comes off as so secure in many ways. And I think uh, because of the way that she sets boundaries with Zuko, because yeah. of the way that she engages with other people without this idea of like, oh, is Zuko flirting with other people? Or uh, she's just kind of herself. And yeah. I think that's one of like this these, these moments where and moments where Zuko tries to come in in this normal like, I'm the guy and I'm trying to be supportive and I'm trying to make amends. And she's setting boundaries and like, no, you're not doing any of those things. I'm not letting you in back that quickly. You broke my trust, and that's yeah. not something you just get back. Yeah, um, she has self-possession, which is very rare um, for somebody who maybe didn't have a great attachment. But she's also really bright, and I think she's also quite different. Like her gender, her idea of gender is so different from Ty Lee's that it's like her, you know, she doesn't think like other girls. She doesn't want the same gifts as other girls. She doesn't worry about the same thing other girls think uh, worry about. So I almost think her as gender neutral. I love that reading of it. That's really cool. It's interesting you bring up like the shell moment that Zuko gives her a shell and she's yeah. like, what is she, her line? Uh, uh, why, who would like this, right? Why would dumb I girls. want this? Yeah, it's yeah. like, ew, you're so dumb, dumb boy. 
and yeah. how much that actually throws uh, Zuko into like a, a little tiny little shame spiral right there, and he gets super defensive and he gets angry yep. and and throws it. And so, what is the how does shame and resilience kind of connect? Because mm. uh, I feel like we see moments of shame um, throughout this episode. So when Zuko blows up at the blows up at the fire because yeah. he, he feels so bad about his own behavior um moments where azula doesn't feel like she's good enough to be liked by the other boys yeah that's um, right yeah shame and embarrassment i mean i think shame in itself is is i tell people clients or friends like it is literally the only thinking that toxic thinking that we bring to ourselves no one is shame enough nobody's like you know the man upstairs with a with a scorecard like that's not happening so you know whether and i'm a christian i believe in god but i don't think he's keeping score i don't i just don't think he cares about crickets uh minute you know but i'm in you're right i mean i'd love to think that but i'm not that important and so i just think shame when i have it i just laugh i partner i say oh honey oh real is that what we're doing right now are we gonna do that okay and then i talk about it with myself and be like what is this about like what why am I feeling this? Because it's toxicity that I've literally brought to myself, to my door, like a really crappy gift. And I don't want to accept it. So I think resilience and the better you build it, you have a better chance of doing that and having that kind of exchange with shame. So that action of, of calling it out and talking to other people about it and opening up about it is one way to kind of build that sense of resilience or to build up that, yeah. that tool, toolbox. I mean, you remember um, in high school when that teenage girl, you know, did something embarrassing and just copped to it and you were like, oh my God, she's so awesome. Like that's somebody who is vulnerable and that's beautiful and vulnerability is what connects us. So, I mean, for me, that that is building your self-esteem and your resilience. Absolutely, and we see that happen. We see them open up about it around the campfire, yeah. Um, and how how important that is in the moment of just being able to speak with friends around fire with such yeah. ritual, with such um, intention. Um, which is why I think that, uh, we've talked about it before on the show that people really view the beach as a filler episode, and just so much happens from a character development in in humanizing these four individuals that we really never get to spend time with yeah it's true um, it's a not a filler at all i think it's 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 a beautiful even standalone like to get somebody interested in the show if they saw that i think they'd be like wow i want to watch that so by by speaking by speaking about our shame by speaking about uh our fears and anxieties with trusted individuals that's that is a tool in building resilience are there any other tools that you see in this episode uh that manifest through characters actions yeah. that could be a to build resilience in ourselves that yeah we i think take away as the audience i think you know i'll just go through them. i mean may you know um calling him out on being jealous is like amazing and she's just like ew um, and by just saying you, but you know, seeing him get anger, angry and angry and, and calling him on it is a beautiful boundary. And that is a hundred percent resilience because we don't know when we're dating or seeing somebody, if they're really okay or not, if they're really good or bad, we don't, it's not a, you know, it's not a cartoon, it's real life. And so I think boundaries are some of the most beautiful things you can give yourself to give to others. 
um, for here, Tylee, here. right? <laughs> for Tylee. Like, oh my goodness, that is so important. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. boundaries. I and wish what, like, everything name. that you're describing. Yeah. Sorry, everything you're describing them. is all about it. I mean, I wish we had a better name for them. I think it's an overused name. And so people are like, oh, yeah, gotta have boundaries. And like, eh, okay. But I don't, don't so like true. that name either because it also means that you're separate. And I don't agree. When I set a boundary, it hurts. It really hurts. Like when I, when I know that I can't talk to my sister because we have some strain and we deal with it and we work on it, or I do at least, um, you know, my older sister, I am, it pains me to set a boundary around that. But well, I'm just, giving that really a lifts up. That really lifts up what you were saying about Ty Lee, right? Because yeah. we hear from her that she has a lot of sisters that they <laughs> look all look like alike, her. they all act alike, and like I imagine her boundary of like this separation boundary that she's put has been pretty painful for yeah. her, and yet the way she's operating throughout the day. It, so here's my question: I think is. Do you think that you do you see Tylee as resilient or do you see her as like, is this her way of avoiding and not addressing the, the pain that she's experiencing? What's your thought process? I on that? would say both at the same time, but I would still guess that she's more resilient than the former because she's starting a new life, right? She's she's brave. She's adventurous. She keeps her positivity. Now, could some say, oh, she's just avoidant? Yeah, it could happen. But you can tell that she's so, she's so herself. She doesn't want to be anything else. You know, it's like, it's the innocence in her makes me say, okay, she's not avoidant. She's resilient. She said, this isn't the life I want. And I want to be my own person. And I want to, you know, use my body in ways that are entertaining and interesting and and, you know, I, I just find her resilient. But I guess that could be argued. I love that. No, I love that. I love that. I think that's a very generous and very loving reading. And I think it's, I agree. I agree. Well, let's talk about a character that might be a little bit tougher to find a generous reading of, <laughs> which is Azula. Yeah. Um, and so through several moments of this episode, we see her humble is humble the right word um potentially humbled but but she seems like she's aware of things but also when she speaks about her mother let's there's got to be some form of trauma there when you say my mother thought i was a monster and then the identity created and she was right of course and she was right that's right so not only does my mom see that but now i see it too Mm. how tough is that and how much does the identities that other people kind of put onto us that we take in. Oh, I love that question. I think for How do we sure break from that? her narrative was formed by her mother, not by her. And that is, oh, it's heartbreaking, right? That you're, it's the same thing when you've got a mom that thinks you're brilliant and that you're going to go to Harvard and you're going to play football and you do none of those things. And so you spend your life ashamed, drunk and seeing me as a therapist, right? And those are out there. It's the same. We, we should not have a a narrative or doctrine laid out for our kids. And if we have a negative opinion, we should be careful. Words hurt. And in her case, oh my gosh, I think she, I think she did feel like a monster. And so she's like, well, let me be the best monster I can be. I, I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit and tell me if I'm off base. Okay. Um, I, we, we see very little interaction between Azula and her mother. Yeah. And I will admit, I have not read the comics yet. Uh, I have them all back ordered, and I'm just waiting oh, for them to yeah. arrive. Um, 
but I so I don't know anything that happens outside of this. So what we do see is, I, I think we do see preference for Zuko. I think that's visible, but I think that's intentional in building Zuko's arc. We see her say, man, what is wrong with that child? But it's mm. not directly to her. And so I, I hear you that she is being directly influenced by her mother, but I wonder how much of that is her inner voice responding to and telling a story about what her mother, the way that she, her mother is acting mm. versus what her mother actually said. Well, that could be to, because our perception is reality, right? So if her perception is, oh, this is my life story and this is my role in it. Yeah, she's going to believe it, whether whether it really happened or not. And as we were talking about trauma earlier, as much as Zuko took physical trauma and, let's be real, emotional yeah. trauma from Ozai, I All also of the trauma. feel like that Azula's kind of pulling emotional uh, trauma from Ozai as well, trying to, to, to live up to standards that he's setting, to, mm. to strive kind of for his affection, almost just as much as Zuko is. I think that's um, probably true, yeah. And they, they go at it differently, but but at least in this episode, I mean, she really showed, she's always resilient looking, but she doesn't have the things we talked about, which are vulnerability and connection, like a true authentic connection, because that requires you to be vulnerable. And I don't think she feels comfortable doing that. Um, even at the, you know, when she goes to Ron John's party <laughs> Or whatever, and, yeah. you know, she like <laughs> which is a great name, by like, the way. I know Ron John, Ron John, um, yeah, and she's like, "We're here, you know, we're dusk till dawn, or whatever." It's like amazing, and I just think, yeah, I think there's something about her that she just is afraid to show vulnerability. Although I think she does it at the campfire. So I, I have a theory about this. So I, I have a theory about Azula and perfectionism. Mm. And let me kind of outline my evidence for this, right? So uh, it's really just outlined by, by all of her actions in this, where she starts off and she's like, we're going to dominate in volleyball. And <laughs> she funny. has zero tolerance for missing a shot. She goes for people's weaknesses and is it's not about the game. It's about winning, yeah. right? It's not about playing. It's about winning. And there's a, a beautiful uh, book called Play by Stuart Brown, mm. who started off researching violence and ended up researching play because he found that people who didn't play in their childhood uh, had violent That's adulthood. fascinating. Yeah. And so it's interesting to me because she has gone through this uh, moment of what should be a moment of play, and mm. instead it's a moment of conquest uh, to prove her dominance. And then, like, another moment that I think is worth noting is, like, when you, you lifted it up where we're, I, I arrived here at, at dusk, and that's when you said <laughs> the party would start. And I am the perfect party guest. Yeah. And I will be here until dawn. And, like, it's just so interesting because – it seems like perfectionism is a really big shame trigger for her. I think you're totally 100% right. I think she is a perfectionist and, and that beats everything, right? Uh, but it's, uh, that of course to her is play. Um, it can be, you know, winning it can be very powerful and it gives you this great, you know, chemical rush or it can, you know, and, and then you've got, you know, people around you that are afraid of what you're doing or don't understand it. But she 
she is the perfect party guest and she wants everyone to know it. And she did burn down the, or explode the volleyball net, which was the best thing ever. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a moment of pure comedy. You're trying to set fear into the heart of your competition. That is a way to do it for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but with this, with this theory then, uh, at what point, how do perfectionism and resilience play together? Mm. Or rather, do they play together? Yeah, like, like what's, what's the relationship? Yeah. I think anything in the world can intersect because every person in the world is different. So there's going to be a person listening that understands this intersection and there's going to be people that don't. But I definitely Fair. think that um, if you are a perfectionist, most people that are have high anxiety. Um, it's usually not a trait of a depressed person, although that's, I'm being general. It's usually a trait of somebody um, anxious um, or who wants to um, make sure everything's done right. They don't trust a lot of other people to do anything right, so they do it themselves. Well, in doing so, you're not vulnerable. You have tougher love relationships. Um, you go through more you know, boyfriends and girlfriends. You don't have as long-lasting friendships. So I do think <laughs> it presents a real problem. It can, um, and I'm talking about like real chronic perfectionism. Um, it can create a problem, but I still think they see it as resilience. Like I wouldn't, you know, I would yes. say, Hey, let's no, look at some I, other that ways. Makes perfect sense. But to them, they're like, so, are you a crazy dude? This is protecting me from every loser, you know, idiot yeah. out there. And it's like, but you're not getting to know people. So it's super dangerous being in this perfectionism mindset because for you, every action you take is validating, but for other people looking through the outside in, see something completely different. Yeah. Uh, that's really fascinating. And it's interesting that you lift up relationship because we see this happen with Azula in this episode, right? Yeah, we, we see do. her, like we see her try to understand how to, uh, you know, conquer the field of love, if yeah. you will. And, <laughs> It, we see her fail and we see her lash out at Ty Lee and then we see her get what she wants and immediately go back into <sighs> it's time to conquer the world mode. Yeah. Like, and it's just interesting that you talk about how it's difficult to go through these relationships with perfectionism. And I wonder if she walked away from that feeling, not that she was at fault, but rather that he was at fault of and course. she did everything right. Yes, because you're going to bend, no pun intended, every narrative to fit your lens. And we all do it, no matter if we're healthy or not. We all bend what happens to us so that our brain can understand it. We put it in a narrative. We match it to what our issues are or our, our good or bad things are. You know, it's, it's hard not to. I mean, yeah. especially if we're not all like in therapy all the time, reflecting and processing, it's like really hard. So I think you're right. I think she left that like, huh, I think I need a donut. You know, like, <laughs> what about you just like, you're crazy. You know, what happened with him? And, and he was interested for that second. That's what's so sad yeah yeah well so what what role how do we challenge that uh, in a healthy way how do we challenge mm. that that search for our, our own confirmation bias and then how does that increase our ability to be more resilient or does it you mean how, like how can we channel perfectionism to be like a positive trait no how, how like how when we when we kind of get validated by our own 
biases or our own experiences oh. or that story that we kind of tell ourselves? Yeah. How do we challenge that? And what role does that play in increasing our resilience? I think that's hard to challenge. And I think that that really takes somebody who wants to like understands that working on your mental state t takes a lifetime, but it's worth it. Wisdom. You know, I remember being like 11 and being like, I want to be that. Like I knew I wanted to be wise. I didn't want to be rich. I didn't care about cars or husbands. I didn't care about any of it. I wanted wisdom. And so for me, that's just what I do. I want my mind to be the most wise it can be. I want to have common sense in a way that nobody else has. Like I just want to be earthy and understand humanity and help people out. And so I think by way of being a person who's seeking that out, um, you are becoming resilient because you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the resilience can take on a different, a different level. I mean, my resiliency now is, can I deal with violence? Can I now, and it could be in my own house or, you know, near me, can I deal with uh, real mental illness? Can I deal with death? You know, the bigger, the bigger things now that I wouldn't have thought about at 11. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that almost this, with whether it's wisdom or whether it's resilience or whether it is dealing with your own mental health, there's never this, I'm done. I'm resilient <laughs> now. Like, I wish. Yeah, no, I don't think we're like so. Azula is never going to get to this point where we're like, I'm perfect. Like, I'm great. I'm here. Like there's, it's this constant forever yeah. learning of growth and pushing yourself and challenging things and growing and learning and understanding that the more you learn, the more you know, I don't know everything. And there's yeah, so absolutely. I always say, I don't know anything. People are like, oh, don't say that. I'm like, no, no, I, I just mean, like, I know some stuff. Like, I know facts and I know some stuff, but I don't really know. And I certainly don't know what the guy next to me feels. I would never presume to understand what George Floyd, his family, his friends, or anyone else who is not in my position feels. I just, I would never, I would be mortified to do that. I am so enamored and honored to work with people you know who trust me with their their story and th and that's just like the greatest thing ever you know for people to tell me their story and to trust me with it and know that i'm going to handle it with care and, and empower them and help them find some stuff out and then they move along yeah and that's just that's what we see like a good chunk of this episode is people sharing their stories yes. and their experiences and how much we learn and humanize and empathize with these characters because of how much we're listening to their stories. Yeah, it's and, like the campfire kind of... corral, you know? It's like everybody comes out and 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 sort of takes their bow, and it's really let's, cool. Let's talk about that moment, because this is really, like, a major point of the whole episode. This is what, like, we're all driving towards, really. Azula's welcoming right. at, for, like, yeah. Three seconds. Yeah. Like she, like, she, <laughs> she invites Zuko, and it seems very genuine. It doesn't seem I agree. ulterior motive. It seems very like, no, come come join us down by the beach. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is, that's a new thing for Azula. But also in this moment is we, we see explosions, and I, I, I mean that emotionally, right? What we see is, like, if you will, the straw breaking the camel's back on everyone. And mm -hmm. up this whole episode, they've, they've there's just been this buildup of yeah. tension between all of these characters, between Zuko and May, between Ty Lee and May, between Azula and everyone, and it's just <laughs> it's just this this massive 
explosion. And I, I'm curious, like what what is it about campfires that that does this? Because this happens like people for years have been surrounding themselves around campfires and telling yeah. stories and growing. Like there's just something right. special about this this time, this moment. And I, I'm just curious about what your what your thoughts on that are. That's so interesting. Um, and I've never really thought about it, but you're right. If we think about, you know, cavemen and campfires and they do, I mean, of course the, the point is everybody wants to get warm, right? So you've got to make it in a circle, at least I would think so that everybody can, you know, kind of get warm. And the thing is you're all looking at each other. But what I think is really cool is that at least when I'm at a campfire, I'm not really staring at it. Like I'm there and I might be even in my own thoughts or maybe someone's talking, but I'm not staring through the fire to anyone else. And I'm not really giving my full eye contact to them. So I wonder if it's like a kind of safe space for people to connect in oh, that's spirit, beautiful. you know, as opposed to like, Hey man, I'm asking you a question and you're looking right at me. It's sort of pedestrian, but there's something yeah. really elevated about being at this campfire and just sort of like letting your spirit crackle like the fire. But yeah. This reminds me of like, uh, there's a lot of parenting conversations around how you you don't want to have difficult conversations like it in their room exactly or uh, you you want to have difficult conversations in a place where like they have at least an option to opt out a little bit even and not like meet you and look you in the eye for instance like in yeah. the car exactly. is a good place that is recommended but like tell me about that what, what's your thought process it's on that so true i have the best i guess i should say success with male clients, either kids, adolescents, or even grownups. Um, when you're in a car, I don't know why, when I'm driving, you're, I'm not looking at them. I'm not, like, actually, my mind's on about five other things because I'm trying to keep us safe. But there's a little part of me that's like narrating or pushing the story. And my story might be, you know, how you doing with whatever happened? You know, I might, I might, you know, pull something up. And everybody answers right away if i'm sitting in a room like in an office which we don't do where i work but because we go to you but if we were in an old school like therapy office they're gonna feel so weird they're gonna hear the silence they're gonna be staring around at everything but me it's just beyond awkward and so in a car i think people just feel like you're a person i'm a person and oh you asked me a question let me answer it it's just this really nice buffer and i wonder if the campfire has the same effect I think it's beautiful. And who doesn't love a good campfire? Side tangent, because <laughs> it, I've thought about it a little bit because my mind wanders every now and then. Why are s'mores popular? Because I don't love them. <laughs> I don't like, either, super really. side tangent. It's it is a side little, tangent, but like, I don't think they're that good. I think s'mores are fine. I feel like that the, the quotient is off. Like It's too much marshmallow. It's too much mellow for my taste. Like It needs to be Not smaller. It's just too much of everything. I can't even get the... You got to cut it now. I mean, this is too much. It should be like little finger food. So what I'm hearing from both of you is that <laughs> what we need are smaller s'mores. Yeah. Or I, I don't need none. s'more of anything. I want something else entirely. Oh, maybe you like Butter savory much. s'mores. You could do like, like a peanut potato butter. with like, you know, smoked paprika and ground. But, you know, you could do something fun like that. Maybe you just don't love sweet. And marshmallow. Oh, no. And <laughs> the marshmallow. <laughs> Right. right yeah. um, 
Sorry, that was just something that came up to my mind as we were talking about. Because I, I love Campfire, but I don't love that aspect of it when someone's like pulls out s'mores and then it's it's messy and it's not for me. As we talk more about Avatar, which is what we're here to discuss. There we go. Um, are there any other moments of, of resilience that we see in this episode or moments of uh, mechanisms that are I think, positive ways yeah. uh, of dealing with these I think things? it's May saying, what do you want to hear from me? What do you want me to tell you? That I had some, you know, terrible life. I didn't, you know. It's like I'm not gonna lie. This is who I am, and I don't keep my feelings, you know, bottled. But they are inside because that's how she processes. She doesn't process on the outside. That's not her. And so everybody thinks, oh, something's wrong with May. You know, oh, something's wrong. It's like no, she doesn't need to do that to get to the same result. It's just they're like, whoa, what is that? Is she like a robot? And that's why she makes fun of Tylee. Why do you have to be so expressive? Why do you need 10 boyfriends? Why? And so they're each they're each kind of burning each other. Oh, no pun intended. But, you know, they're like, ah, burn, ah, burn. I'm going to get you with whatever they say. Um, but I feel like May was so resilient in this, you know? Um, and so is Zuko. I mean, really all of them, all of them were in this episode. Question. If, if you were to pick one of the four of these uh, fine young people, who is the most resilient in your eyes? Because oh, I, I don't imagine in a few people that it might not be. Well, but I'm curious who I it is. I don't know. Between. You might be shocked that I'm going to pick Tylee. And <laughs> that mm. seems really weird, but here's why. Okay. She came the furthest from her home of origin. She left her family of origin. That is like almost unheard of. That is so difficult to do, especially yeah. as an innocent, attractive woman. Hate to say it, but it's just really, 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 really hard. So that shows me she has balls, and I love that about her. And even if she is avoidant, I'll take it. And she said, I don't want to look like these six people. I don't want to be them. And that's like creating your own life out of nothing is kind of the most badass thing I can think of. And um, I just give major respect to her. So I feel like she's my poster girl for resiliency. So this actually brings up a question that, that I think it's asked in the fandom a lot, and you might have a wonderful answer to it. Sure. So Tylee leaves her family because she feels like she doesn't want to be a part of a set, I think are her words. Yeah. But at the end of the series, she joins the Kyoshi Warriors. Yeah. Um, and they all look the and same. So, <laughs> what, is that different than what she was feeling at home? Is that different that than being so a part of the brilliant. set? I think you're right. I mean, if we were to really, like, you know, analyze this, I could say, oh, how interesting. She misses familiarity. She misses community. She misses family. She's used to it. Um, so familiarity is so yummy when you don't have it for a long time. It's like you run right to it. So in a way, I'm not shocked. Um, because the cool thing is she can always step out, right? She can always be her. And she, when she is, yeah, she doesn't just, look That like, element of choice is yes, so important. It is. So and the so, fact that she can take off the, the makeup yes, and the armor right. and just be Ty Lee is a huge yeah. difference. Yeah, and by the way, when she family. does it, she doesn't look like them. You know, So I don't know. I mean, that's that's my take on it. I have no idea, you know, 
I'm sure there are a million different points of view on it, but I don't think it's a negative. I yeah, think that, I mean, that convinces me. And she will yeah, eventually, you know, be like, okay, I'm done with this now. And she might go, you know, she's one of these people that you know in life that starts out one way and you see her 10 years later and she has dreadlocks and she like runs an organic farm and you're like, oh my God, hi. And then 10 years later, she's like in New York City doing finances and you're like, oh, like she's just one of these, you just don't know where she's going to go, but I know she'll land on her feet. Get it? Absolutely. Well, that, yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I think that that, that's, I'm convinced that that is a, a, a solid answer to anybody in the fandom that asked that question again. Um, we've kind of avoided Aang and the gang, uh, mm. which they don't show up a lot, but they do show up in this kind of battle with Sparky, Sparky, Boom, Boom, Man. Um, and do we see any resilience there? Is there anything that we see? Uh, I think one of the things that I wanted to highlight out of that is Aang's willingness to kind of fight this battle, even though he's mm. kind of at like 50%. Um, that's what does true. that really mean in terms of resilience? Uh, is that something that's helpful? Is that something, you know... I guess it's it, bravery. Is there a mental equivalent to that that, that we feel? Yeah, um, I think he, he's obviously brave and, and has a commitment to, to something larger than himself. So you do it anyway. You know, you do it at half capacity um, because that's the commitment you made, you know. Um, well, I don't know. What is your take on it? I don't know because I want because I think there's something to be said for knowing your limits and understanding what those are and and I think he does I think he runs away and doesn't kind of pursue the fight knowing that it's probably not one that he can win right um but we see him really kind of give it his all and and do what he can to protect his friends mm. um but is that can that be a detriment like if that's at a detriment to you is that something that you need to do um and I, there's there's a balance between like what's selfish and what's self care. Ooh, um, that's true. Yeah. So, and I don't know if I know where that line is or <laughs> what that means or, or how to define I think, that. So, yeah, I think self-care, I mean, that's such a, such a hot button word and so overused too, but you know, Buddha said, you know, if, uh, if the compassion you feel doesn't include you, it's incomplete. So there you go. You can't just be like, I'm going to help everyone. And you know, but you've got to think about yourself and not just protection, but, but nurturing. So I think that's, that's what self-care is. But I think that's a really interesting point that you can sometimes be, what is the difference between selfish, selfless, and self-care? I don't know. Those are really good questions. Yeah. Yeah. Perception is reality, right? Right. Um, speaking of perception, uh, how did, like, I'm really interested to think about how Toph uh, came up with Toph is the one that says that uh, is worried about Aang being seen with his tattoos. Like, how empathetic of Toph is it mm. to be considering of someone that will see Aang's tattoos? But like, it's not Katara, it's not Sokka who can see them. It's it's Toph, right? And mm. so, being blind, putting herself like that's that's so empathetic of her. I'm yeah. I, so I'm just curious. Like, is does empathy play a role with resilience? And if so, mm. what does that look like? That's such, that's so true. Um, empathy is like sad because some people are literally born without it. They just don't develop it. And um, some people have too much, right? So they're too sensitive and they are 
easily upset or easily feel what other people feel. Now we have these things in our brain, they're mirror neutrons uh, or neurons, although Jimmy Neutron is a good reference. I should keep that. Um, they're mirror neurons. <laughs> there we go. And the neurons, so if you're sad, I'm going to be sad or you know, you're happy, I'm going to be happy. And that's what we do in general. And you can tell the level of empathy by the firing of the neuron or how high it is. So yeah, do I think that's empathic? That's like beautiful. And I think having empathy though is, um, is, a, is sort of a component of vulnerability. So mm. you, you mm -hmm. have a lot of empathy when you are like, oh my God, I just did this. Can yeah. you believe I drove off the road? Oh my God, I'm so stupid. You know, and you just laugh and you just, <laughs> that's what I do. I am such a dork. I don't pretend I'm cool or good at anything. I, if I say I'm good at something, slap me because I'm probably terrible. Like, I well, just that's so, just so beautiful, though. I try like, to, to be. think about, right? The like, <laughs> well, and these characters struggle with that too. Like, like the having the confidence to claim, like, no, I'm good at this. Yeah. Like, we see so much humility on this show. We like very rarely do we see someone say, no, that's I'm, true. I'm really good at it this. It is the culture I'm, of this show. To you know, be humble, yeah. quiet, to watch, to have patience, to have understanding, wisdom, the things we were talking about before, and and the resilience i think what's cool about it is people don't realize you can build it it doesn't just happen and people aren't born with it you can build that's it. so important yeah it's a skill like it's this is skill. something that is like we can cultivate and yeah. grow and nurture within ourselves yeah and it's a yeah, lot easier than like so going important. to med school like way easier so people should really yeah <laughs> be looking into it so i think so empathy I, does I have... connect to resilience yeah yeah, I have another theory, and this is the last. This is my last point of resilience. I don't know if y'all have more, but for for me, I feel like we haven't really um, given Zuko potentially as much yes. attention as we probably could have. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. like he had a big moment or anything. Yeah, in the show. yeah, <laughs> nothing defining or tear inducing. Yeah, there's nothing tear inducing. Nothing about that made this. me whimper like a little child. It's so rough. Like so, Zuko throughout this series, not just this episode, but this series yeah. has. I think been not only a been through just one of the most incredible redemption arcs in history, yeah. but also the most incredible resilience arcs in yeah. history where he has been dealt this literally burning blow mm -hmm. by his father, where he's been outcast. He's been dealing with this, but then he's also been alongside a, what we called at the beginning of this episode, a protective factor being Iroh, yeah. one trusted adult. Yeah. Right. And throughout this, like he just develops and is surrounded by more and more protective factors throughout his growth, That's right? True. And we see those protective factors grow through him and change him to ultimately watch him be able to stand his ground in front of his father. And yeah. this episode is a pretty pivotal moment, I think, in that journey because he, like, he goes through the, his old home and he he burns his heirlooms and he burns these paintings. Azula says nothing about this, yeah. which I think is also telling. Yeah, it but is. Ty, like, and then Ty Lee notices. She's like, aren't you like worried about doing this? Isn't, or how do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. And she asks him and then he's just like, he just blows up and he like, we see the fire literally explode. Right. Yeah. And so just, can you tell me about resilience and Zuko and what, what that looks like for you and yeah. just your response. To, I think to you're, hearing you're right. Um, and I'm so glad you brought him up because we kind of poked on some of the other characters that we hadn't really talked about him, but 
I think it's funny he's the elephant in the room because he is the most resilient, most, um, you know, person who has redemption and transformation yeah. and all these great words, right, and concepts. And I think it's great because Iroh said to him, you know, hope is something you give yourself. And it's like, what? So it's like a gift? So I have what? to give it to uh -huh. myself? Like, because I always think hope <laughs> is like this dumb word. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It's like this vague thing. It's like faith, even though, of course, when I think about it, I have it. But it seems so vague. It seems so overused. So hope is something you give yourself. That's inner strength. And I think mm. that set him up. I think you're 100% right. And he did have protective factors and to the point where he became his own best protective factor and was able to, you know, have, have this incredible storyline. I think you're hundred percent right. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. What a cool episode this is. Yeah, it really is. There's I was just so thinking much. I love Lo and Lee too. We didn't give them any, any. Oh, we didn't talk about her yeah, at all. Oh, we'll talk about them because Lee. a little side note. There, I'm giving my gratitude to them, but I'll tell you why. Oh, good. Yeah, what is we'll it? We'll get to it. Oh, you are? Okay. Uh, I was just thinking yeah, we'll, I we'll love... We'll when we do our gratitude, I'll I'll dive you in did. deeper, but I'm, I'm giving Lo and Lee gratitude. Yay. To I just love when they're like, waves give everyone a clean slate and reveals the true you. And I'm like, duh. Yeah, the I, greatest I think the whole it's episode. so subtle, but I think that ties a really nice bow on the episode of... Like we come in with these jagged edges yes. and the beach has this quality that smooths us out. And I oh, think I love that. in a way that's a really resilient image in that what we see is we, we come in with these jagged edges and we learn that talking and telling stories and sharing ourselves yeah, and being vulnerable is what smooths us out. Right. And that's, but the cool that's thing part is of being it resilient. It doesn't change you. You're the same shape in general. You're the same weight. You're the, you have the same function. That's what's cool too. You're not, yeah. you're not a different thing. You're that thing. You're you, but you're you, but better. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, we, we are going to take a quick break. We will come back and we will do our devotion for the episode and we will do our gratitude. So we will be back right after this. You have reached the voicemail box of Bending Not Breaking. Please leave a message after the tone. One of the biggest life lessons I've learned from Avatar is that people are still people. They have feelings. That we should always be caring to one another. Ever since the character Azula was introduced into the show, I've always disliked her. I hated the way she treated her brother and how she only cared for herself, betraying her whole family and friends too. However, it was toward the end of book three when I realized Azula was actually just wanted to fit in and be loved. In the beach episode, you can see her struggling and wanting to fit in with others, completely losing her self-confidence when it came to interacting with people. She also struggled her whole life wanting love from her mother and father. At the end of the series, we see Azula spiraling, and it shows you that even she deserved friendship and love, despite her actions throughout the series. We don't know what she went through when she grew up, how she probably felt isolated, and how interacting with others was probably a difficult task for her. Her story had a great impact on me, taught me the valuable life lessons that we should always be kind with people and never let someone feel left out because we don't know their whole story. So others along with myself should try and reach out to other kids at school or anywhere really so no one ever feels alone. And that was a big life lesson I learned from Avatar The Last Airbender. Alexandra, thank you so much for that voicemail. I, oh, 
I, I agree so much and uh, in, in how strong that ability of connection really drives our behavior. Absolutely. Um, oh, man, that was – when we look at people with that lens and give that most general, uh, generous assumption, how important that can be when we're re- rewriting that narrative that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. and, and how we push back on that. So thank you so much for sending that voicemail because – Truly, how important is connection? Because when I think about it, for me, it's I almost think about that people are looking for belonging. People are hardwired for connection. Mm. And when we look at that at kind of like the end of the spectrum, honestly, all the way to if we're doing it in a positive way versus people doing it in a negative way, people join extremist groups, hate groups, because people are bringing them in and telling them they belong. Yeah. And so how do we do that on the other end? of that so people know that they're worthy of love that they are love and and that there's some that they're enough mm. um and so oh love that alexandra oh, yeah. cricket what do you think yeah alexandra i just want to say thank you that was so heartwarming and so awesome that you took your time um to leave that for us i i wanted to touch on the thing that struck me so hard was that you don't know my story Nobody knows each other's story. We cannot assume to know a story. Mm. It drives me insane. I don't know what that person next to me went through. It doesn't matter if they look like a country clubber. It doesn't matter if they look homeless. I don't know their story. And I have to remember to be humble and say, I don't know what happened to you. And, and not to say what's wrong with that person, to say what happened to them. What's your story? And I think that's beautiful that you at probably such a young age already know this and know how important that is. And that that in itself is being kind, having empathy, being resilient. It's doing everything good in the world just in that one gesture. Yeah. I just, I think I heard you say that you're 16 and wow, you are wiser than I was. I was was such a dumb dumb when I was 16. I was not where you are. (laughs) So Alexandra, thank you so much for bringing this to us and and sharing your insights because it's, it's real and it's very important and we are better for hearing it. Yeah. That being said, if you also have, want to share your insights as a listener, send a voice memo to the arc of E at gmail.com. We would be happy to hear it. Um, and we would love to play it on the show. Um, let's jump right into our devotion because I, I think that's a little fun. Uh, we want to have our call to action is we're thinking about resilience through the element of fire. I, and I think for me, what I want to do this week really plays along with creating the warmth that connections can be. Mm-hmm. And so creating those moments in that container that is similar to a campfire, but really just reaching out to someone I haven't reached out to in a while to just continue to strengthen that relationship and to build that connection is something that I want to do this week. Um, So really create that warming sense for, for someone else. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. For me, this, this idea of resilience being something that we can cultivate and nurture and grow is really sticking out to me. Mm. And I think about, I, I worked at summer camp for a long time. Uh, I've said it before, but this, this idea of campfire building is like also somewhat uh, poignant mm. for our episode, right? So yeah. uh, 
we teach you have to start by you have to start small you have to start with little sticks you have to start with uh kindling you have to build it slowly it does you don't have a raging fire of resilience immediately you have to start Mm. small and it's gonna be very weak it's not gonna be very warming at first but over time it's it's gonna grow and so if i were to boil that down to like what's something i can do this week it's let's take an assessment of how my fire is uh, and let's feed it and, or mm. let's give it some oxygen or let's let it, let's help it breathe a little bit. Like what, what is it that my resilience needs in order to thrive? And I, I think for me, what that really is, <laughs> is going back to this concept of, of, of boundaries again, mm. and not just setting boundaries for other people, but setting boundaries for myself yeah and, it's hard uh, being resilient is a very internal conversation it's a very internal conflict and i i think in order to to do that i need to really work on myself and i think that's going to take some self-reflection so i'm going to meditate on it this week i and love that, that. that's going to be me and i love that fire the idea it's so ironic that you would build something um you would put up a boundary which in a way means um a sort of section off but while you're building something that's so inclusive i love that yeah we're, yeah we're gonna put you on the spot cricket that's and, okay and, i was thinking yeah, and, and for me if... i think what i want to do is stop because that's always hard when you're running and just kind of stop and meditate a little bit but pretending i am at a campfire because that's a different thing i've meditated a lot but i've never meditated with temperature I never have thought, okay, I'm on a cold mountain or I'm on a heat, you know, I've never done that. So I'm going to do that. And I've never done that. So that'll be kind of really cool. And how will that sort of affect my thinking? And then I want to, I want to ask some people this week, what's your story? You know, not like that. Mm. I might be like, tell me about you, you know, and just listen and let them tell me their story and not do anything with it. Just be a person to listen. That's what I'm going to do. I love that. And that's such a great skill that I think anyone can practice this yeah. week. Uh, is just being being able to listen and hear and not wait to speak, but just listen. And I, I feel like that's a good, if you want to practice resilience, that might be the, a great first way to engage with that. A small twig, if you will. Yeah. That's right. A small piece of kindling. All right. It is now time to lift up some characters with gratitude. gratitude. I've already given away mine, uh, Lo and Lee. And the reason I the reason I want to give them gratitude is because they love these kids so much. Yes. And they've created a space, and they're welcoming, and they're they know what they have is not a lot, but they still invite them in. They have a blanket they're, where the ocean threw up on it. That's right. They do. That's but right. They, they mean they're there for them, and they're there when they need them. But they also give them space. They do, and, yeah. and respect what they're doing, and they're not perfect, right? We've seen moments where we're kind of like, "Lo and Lee, uh, did you really need to like convince Azula to do that?" Um, but not in this episode. And I think that that kind of highlights progress, not perfection, of this kind of idea that just like you you work to get better and that you're not going to do things perfect all the time and so i just wanted to to lift them up um i also appreciate their a willingness to kind of be like that's us and dance and be like you don't recognize how beautiful we are yeah uh, when they first show up and like snaps to that like yeah be happy with who you are and i, do love I think that. that was a moment that i really love so lo and lee are the characters that i'm lifting oh, up today that's for awesome uh 
Yeah, I'm going to go a different direction. Um, <laughs> I I just, I, I talked a little bit about Zuko already, but I, I just, I'm so grateful for Zuko for being angry this episode. Yeah. And I just, for being so full of anger, it's it's just affecting every aspect of his life, his interactions with others, his inner thoughts, his, his shame. And I'm just, I'm grateful because it's real. And it gives me the ability to have compassion for the anger that I feel. Oh, and the anger that i see in others it just just knowing where zuko is heading in this season in this series helps me believe that when i am so full of anger and rage that it not only will it be possible to work through it but that that i can be resilient too that it just it's such a compassion building moment for him and for me and it it just makes me I feel better knowing Zuko in this moment and watching him go through this struggle. So That's I'm awesome. really grateful for Zuko. That's awesome. So again, you know, we're going to put you on the spot. That's like, okay. Who, who is someone that you are grateful I'm for? I'm really grateful for Azula. Um, she finally shows something, a different color in her color box, right? Her little coloring yeah. kit is usually like, Black, black, charcoal, and black. And I really loved seeing some other, <laughs> like, I don't know, some cool things, like some red. Okay, we've seen red. But maybe some, like, I don't know, shades of blue or lilac, or I don't know. It was just, like, really beautiful to see her kind of flirt and want to be similar to standard women, whatever that is. Um, but, you know, she's not your typical, so um, I think she wants to be more like that. So that was fun to watch her do that. It was fun to watch her compete. Um, it's fun to watch her, um, you know, even though she's mean, it, it's still, I was still able to see vulnerability in her for the first time. And that made me yeah. not hate her, right? And be like, oh, yay, yeah. she's human. Well, it just, it's so important because like, there are so many people that I, I can think of that I'm like, they are, not human yeah. they are the worst and then I, I think of azula and i think of this moment and i think about oh my god they're probably in so much pain that i'm so unwilling to even hear it and so just it calls back to your like tell me your story so good uh, and i mean i say that to a lot of people they'll say well i just can't stand this about this person or that and i just say listen we don't know their story we don't know what's happening at their home we don't know what they're dealing with it's really true and and yeah some people think that's being over generous but being over generous makes a better um, planet, so I'll take it. Here, 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 here. What a good, what a good note to end on. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh wow, that's, that, that's the oh, this our time's over. I this know. Is, this is the end of the episode. I'm yeah. Sad. If if you might indulge us, what is your favorite May line from the show? From oh yeah, from the show and potentially from this episode. Oh, the whole show. Well, this one is. Um, are you serious? It looks like the beach threw up all over it. <laughs> That's from this Perfect. one. But of course, I love the favorite of all time. Oh, you know, she'll say oh, lots of sighs. But I love when she says, um, you miscalculated. I love Zuko more than I fear you. Oh, that's such a moment. Just yeah, well, it we is. see a it's complete like, downturn. It's uh, you so want to talk about sending ass. someone into a shame spiral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's great. And miscalculated. Oh. What a great word. I mean, 
it's brilliant. It means they're strategic. It means she was, means her strategy was off. It's like the biggest, meanest thing you could say to Azula, you know, it's great. Yeah. It's not personal. It's, so... it's about your strategy and you're wrong. It's so real. Awesome. Yeah. So oh, well, thank you guys freaking... for having me. This was so fun. No, thank you for coming. No, that, yeah, like, thank truly, you for being here. You. This is great. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for the time, and, and know that uh, whether uh, it is later on this season or when we start recording episodes for yes. Cora, you're always you welcome. Always Thank welcome you. I would love like to come to. back. I think you, what you guys are doing is really incredible, and I just am happy to give some time and some energy to topics and to helping the universe, and I know that you guys are doing that, so I think my core values are in line with that, and I'm happy to help. You're here. Me too. Uh, uh, well, where can people find you on, on the interwebs? Uh, oh, yeah, on... the old webs, the web thing. Yes. So they can go to YouTube or TikTok, and that's Cricket Lee, L-E-I-G-H. And Instagram is Cricket World, C-R-I-C-K-E-T-W-I-R-L-D. And okay. they can also look for me at blendhealth.com. That's B-L-N-D health.com. Awesome. Fantastic. So go there, follow Cricket on all of those platforms. Yay! Yep, absolutely. Um, follow, follow us at BNB underscore pod on uh, Twitter and Instagram. On Instagram Bending and... Not Breaking on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. You can That's like right. and review us as well as a Facebook group if you're a part of our Patreon. Or you can just email us if financial if finances are an issue and we can, we can talk about getting you in. Awesome. All right. Well, Thank y'all so much for listening. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. This is Ben Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Bye-bye.